from API, this is Energy Tomorrow Radio, your source for information and conversation about the most important energy issues of the day. Welcome to Energy Tomorrow Radio. I'm your host, Jane Van Ryan. Have you been watching the price of oil recently? Yesterday it set another record on March 10th when it hit a high of about $108 a barrel on the global market. So what's going on? Why is it so high? To answer those questions today, we've invited Adam Siminski, Chief Energy Economist of Deutsche Bank, to join us. So Adam, what is going on with the price of oil? Well, it's a combination of a number of factors. Supply and demand fundamentals have been pretty tight for the last year. Overall inventories around the world are low. There's not a lot of spare refining capacity. There's not a lot of extra crude oil production capacity. And that sets the markets up for difficulties. If anything goes wrong, if you have bad weather or a refinery accident, uh, it could send prices up a lot. The biggest thing since the beginning of this year, though, has been the deterioration in the U.S. dollar. I think that that's probably added something like $15 to the price of oil, just that drop in the value of the U.S. dollar. Why has the dollar fallen, and why is that important to the price of oil? Well, the dollar, in many ways, is just like any other uh, good. It has a price. When you go to uh, borrow money, you pay interest rates, and interest rates reflect the value of the dollar, in a sense. With the Fed cutting interest rates to try to keep the economy going, that's made the value of the dollar go down. So with the uh, possibility that the Fed is going to once more cut interest rates because of the bad jobs numbers and other indications, falling consumer sentiment uh, and other factors that suggest that the U.S. economy might actually be in a recession, the Fed will probably cut again, and that could send oil prices even higher because of the impact that that could have on the dollar. Has the recent OPEC decision not to increase production also had an impact on the price of oil? Well, it, it certainly has had some impact. OPEC, a month ago, thought that they should be cutting production. That was when oil prices fell below $90, and they thought that they might go down further. As the price started to go up, I think OPEC felt that cutting production would be uh, really kind of a, a bad idea, uh, particularly given signs that the U.S. economy is really weakening and maybe starting to slow down e even in China. So OPEC could try to put more oil out onto the market, but the spare oil that they have to sell is fairly low-grade oil. It requires very sophisticated refinery capacity, and we don't have a lot of that. So in some ways, uh, OPEC doesn't have as much opportunity to fix this problem as they had in years past when there was more spare capacity. There are reports today that Vice President Dick Cheney may be going to Saudi Arabia next week and that it's conceivable that he could ask the Saudis to pump more oil. Could that have an impact? Well, he can ask them to pump more oil, but the Saudis will probably say, who's going to buy it? OPEC can't just pump oil. They don't have uh, that much storage capability. So reality is, is either consumers have to be buying it or the companies have to be buying it and storing it. Buying oil and storing it when it's nearly $110 a barrel uh, doesn't necessarily sound like a, 
a good idea, particularly with most analysts and the Department of Energy saying prices are likely to fall. I suspect that if if Vice President Cheney actually does ask the Saudis to pump more oil, that the Saudis will say, stop pumping dollars. Stop pumping dollars into... Into the global market. You're, you're creating a, you know, a surplus of dollars that is driving the value of the dollar down, and that's what we get paid in. The Saudis get paid dollars. Because the price of oil indeed is pegged to the dollar. Right. And the expenditures of many of the countries in the Middle East are in currencies other than the dollar. The euro, for example. Uh, if you go back a few years ago, the euro and the dollar were selling at just about the same price. Now the euro is one fifty-five. It costs a dollar fifty-five to buy a euro. If you translate that into oil, that really says is that the value that the Saudis are receiving is closer to sixty-nine dollars a barrel rather than a hundred and seven dollars a barrel. That's what I suspect Vice President Cheney is going to hear if he brings up the idea of the Saudis ought to pump more oil. There are other parts of the world where there's quite a bit of instability that has indeed affected the amount of oil that's on the worldwide market right now. You've got trouble in Nigeria and other places. What kind of an impact does that have on oil prices? Can you put a price on instability? Well, from time to time, you do see that. Uh, if we were to get news today, for example, uh, that uh, there was uh, a problem somewhere in the Middle East, I suspect that it would drive oil prices higher. So geopolitical issues do find their way into the price. Uh, traders and investors are always trying to make a decision about, well, how bad uh, could that problem be? Uh, does it mean that oil might not be available for a period of time? How many barrels would be involved? And, and what would that uh, do to the price? So it does get factored in. And there have been plenty of problems like this. Uh, there's about 500,000 barrels a day at least, and probably more than that, not being produced in Nigeria right now because of violence in the Niger Delta, where much of the crude oil from Nigeria comes from. Uh, there have been uh, problems in Venezuela in terms of the investment flows into the oil area that have limited the productive capability of that country and it's keeping oil off the market. And you could go through any number of other countries uh, where there have been uh, problems and those problems have led to a lack of investment. And in many of these countries, the oil industry uh, doesn't really have a chance. They're not allowed to operate in some of these countries. And what that means is, is that the oil just doesn't flow. Please correct me if I'm wrong now, but the government numbers seem to indicate that there really is plenty of oil on the market right now. And at the same time, because of the price, demand seems to be falling. Now, you would think that that means with adequate supply and less demand that you would see prices come down. So why isn't that happening this time? Well, it does happen from time to time. Uh, it was only a year ago that oil was $50, and that was because there was, at that time, plenty of supply and not much demand, and there was uh, the weather that had been very warm in the run-up to the prior winter, and uh, that brought prices down. Uh, the weather got cold, the geopolitics got worse, the dollar started to fall apart, and all of those things uh, drove oil prices higher. Uh, so I see this as as being a question of the rotating factor of the day or the week or the month or maybe even the year uh, that uh, 
we have occasions where you get good news and that good news from a supply standpoint and that sends oil prices down or you get bad news uh, on production in in some uh, country and that tends to send prices up recently uh, although supplies could be called adequate if you look at the situation from a very broad viewpoint uh, inventories are lower than they have been uh, on average over the past five or seven years. Demand is slowing down a bit, certainly in the U.S., but it's still very robust in Asia and the Middle East where incomes are high, populations are growing, uh, and uh, the demand for fuel, for transportation, uh, seems to just go on and on. Uh, so the markets are tight, and because they're tight, and because there isn't a lot of spare capacity, you're prone to upward spikes in the price on small items. A cyclone blows through Australia and it sends the oil price up 2 or $3 a barrel. I think it's fair to say at this point in time that with high oil prices and higher food prices, consumers probably are feeling as though they're catching the brunt of this. Um, how much would you say this ethanol mandate has to do with the higher food prices, or or are those prices really connected to the price of oil? The ethanol mandate has essentially made corn very valuable as a feedstock into the manufacturing of ethanol. There are other countries that, that do it differently. Brazil, for example, uses sugarcane as a, a feedstock, but we've decided to use corn in our country. Because of that, uh, farmers are very anxious to plant all of the acreage that they have with as much corn as they can possibly plant because the prices have gone very high. Uh, what that means is there's less acreage left for wheat and cotton and some of the other goods. So consumers are really f feeling this. At the same time, the improvements in income in countries like China are leading to changes in diet and with people eating uh, more meat, which requires uh, grains as uh, animal feed, and uh, buying more goods that require uh, cotton uh, for clothing. Uh, what we're finding is uh, that these commodities prices are being bid up across the world. So it's a combination of things like the ethanol mandate and growing incomes around the world uh, that are pushing these food prices up. These, this tends to be cyclical too, just like oil does. And we suspect at some point uh, you'll see this come down. But there is an underlying upward bias uh, to some of these prices for foods and oil that's coming from the very rapid improvements in economic growth taking place in Asia and in the Middle East. So what does America do? What advice would you give as an energy economist to the next president or perhaps to Congress? Well, they're getting plenty of advice uh, from voters all across the country right now who seem to be inclined to think that uh, it, it's somehow all the fault of the oil industry <laughs> that prices are rising. Uh, and I suspect that, that we would all be better off if we looked in the mirror and uh, and said, you know, what can that person do uh, to help bring prices down? Uh, turning the thermostat down a bit, uh, replacing your uh, incandescent light bulbs with the new fluorescent models that use a lot less energy, uh, driving a smaller car, uh, trying to find a way to, uh, to take uh, you know, the bus or the subway to work rather than uh, driving 
uh, a big SUV. Uh, these are the sorts of things that have been going on in Europe for a long time uh, that I think we as Americans are only just getting used to the idea uh, that we might want to move this direction to try to improve uh, the efficiency of our fuel consumption and, uh, and how we use that energy in our daily lives. Many studies have shown uh, that uh, you can have just as good a life at a lot less use of energy uh, than the average American is consuming today. It's not a particularly popular message. It seems to me that uh, many of our politicians like the idea of that ringing uh, statement that says it's somebody else's fault. Uh, maybe it's OPEC's fault or maybe it's the oil industry's fault when uh, the reality is that it's a simple matter of supply and demand and economics. Uh, we have demand growing too fast and we can't get enough supply because of a lot of issues and that's pushing prices up. It's not a big conspiracy. It's, uh, it's you and me. That'll have to be the last word. Adam Siminski, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on Energy Tomorrow Radio, brought to you by the people of America's oil and natural gas industry. For more information about this podcast or to submit questions for future shows, visit energytomorrow.org. That's energytomorrow.org.